This is the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast, episode number eight. Home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Hey folks, how are you doing? My name is Doug, and on this week's episode of the Thumb and Hammer Podcast, I have another interview for you. However, before I get into this week's content, I just want to apologize for not releasing an episode last week. Here's the deal. My day job has been really busy lately, which is good for my bottom line. Um, It helps move us closer to being able to rebuild our addition, which is good for us. And it's also good for for you guys, because I'm going to be sharing all that process with you when we do that. But what it means right now is I just don't have as much spare time. And I produce this podcast in my spare time. So something's got to give. And last week, I just couldn't find the time to to work on the episode to get it out there. I want to release these things on a weekly basis. Chances are there's going to be the occasional week that, uh, that I have to miss for whatever reason. So you'll want to make sure that you're subscribed. You can find me on iTunes, and you can find me on Stitcher Radio. Just make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, and that way you won't miss any episodes. All right. Now, this week's episode, I talked to Sarah Fogel from The Ugly Duckling House. Um, Once again, I give the introduction in the actual interview itself, so let's go there right now. My guest today shares her home improvement and DIY challenges and successes on her website, UglyDucklingHouse.com. She has appeared on She Knows TV's Homestretch as a featured designer and has also appeared in an infomercial for a major brand. So she's kind of a big deal. I am thrilled to welcome to the podcast, Sarah Fogel. Hi there. So I guess the obvious place to start is the Ugly Duckling House. Yeah, that makes sense. How did you meet? (laughs) And how ugly was it when you first met? Did you realize it was an ugly duckling at the time you bought it? Or was that ugliness revealed after you bought it? Um, A little bit of both, I would say. Um, I, you know, of course, was looking for kind of a fixer-upper, mostly just because getting a move-in ready house in my budget was probably not ever going to happen. Um, The economy you know, taking kind of a downturn. And I was like, well, now's the great time to buy because there's plenty of houses available. I've got the money to do it. And, um, why not start looking? Um, but in my price range, it was kind of difficult to actually find one to my surprise because in my price range, it was highly competitive thanks to investors. So people were snatching up, you know, foreclosures and stuff left and right. And unless you had, you know, cash, you were not going to be the top you know, the top person bidding for a house. So, um, it kind of lucked out that I found an existing homeowner who had not, you know, um, been upside down in her house in any way. And she had paid off enough of her mortgage that when she was interested in selling, you know, my price was actually relatively reasonable to her. And, um, she was just a, you know, little old lady who had grown tired of living by herself and she wanted to live closer to her son in another state. And so she just wanted to, 
you know, get rid of her house and move. And, um, she was, she was elderly and she had, um, she had some health issues, like some lung issues. And so she was having a really difficult time keeping up with the house. And, um, it was clear when I moved into the house or right before, you know, when I was walking through the house that it was not in the best of shape. And, the, you know, the more that I thought about it though, you know, it was, it was definitely my first choice when I was looking through houses too. Um, I found another one that I was in love with and that one just didn't work out. Um, and that wound up being for the better because it was right on a floodplain and I didn't realize that like it was right next to a river and in Georgia, that's just not necessarily the best idea. So, um, um, you know, things worked out. And then I took another look at this house and I started to see it for its potential. And, uh, of course the woman who was trying to sell the house just insisted the whole time that it was move in ready. And I knew that she wasn't telling the truth. Maybe from her perspective, it was because none of the rooms were mid renovation or anything, but the house was just horribly, um, horribly left you know, to, you know, with neglect, like the entire upstairs area, she hadn't lived up there for a while. So the whole thing was just this dusty, dank, dark, musty smell. Like the carpet was at least 20, 25 years old. And I can't even think of the last time that it may have been cleaned. Like it was just, it was, it was just all very gross. And while I'm sympathetic to the fact that she really wasn't capable of cleaning up or, you know, you know, taking care of the house anymore. It was just kind of like one of those things where you move in and you're like, wow, I've got, I've got my work cut out for me. Um, but thankfully, you know, she had done some of the things that, you know, would have cost me a huge amount of money right up front. So she had, uh, replaced the roof, you know, only three years before that she had, um, replaced the hot water heater. She had done a lot of the upgrades that I would have had to have done moving in. So then I could, instead focus on taking that budget and putting it towards other things that she probably didn't even see as things that needed to be replaced. So like I immediately replaced the carpet and the flooring and, um, cause that was one of the biggest health hazards that, you know, was going on with the house. Um, in my opinion, cause it was just, I'm, you know, I've since learned that I'm just not a fan of carpet <laughs> in general. And then, uh, you know, I could replace the, pl- the appliances, really quickly. And that was great too. Cause those appliances again, were you know, 20 years old, you know, kind of broken. I found, you know, one of my favorite stories that I used to tell when I first moved into my house is that I found press on fingernails everywhere. I found like one in the fridge, even it was just, it was all very gross. It made my skin crawl. <laughs> so, um, we did a full top down kind of cleaning, we paint, immediately painted the ceiling before we took anything out of the house, um, just because it looked like there had been smoke, you know, like just, um, like maybe a long time before that she'd been a smoker. So the ceilings had kind of turned yellow and orange oh, yeah. and it was all just very, very gross. <laughs> and, um, I started working on it and I started painting the walls and I started making some of it my own. And, um, then came the reality of the fact that the house had actually had a lot other damage done that I didn't realize when I first moved in, such as the extent of the termite damage that had existed there. I knew when I moved in because I had to get a termite bond that there was a termite infestation. It got taken care of and it got, 
um, dealt with, but the damage was far more extensive than I thought it was going to be at first. So, um, I started repairing that first thing because the walls were basically like there was patches of drywall that were just basically crumbling underneath, um, my paint roller. Um, so that had to be repaired before, you know, anything was going to be able to, to work for the house. So started doing that, you know, the siding needed a lot of repairs. So I did a lot of the need to have repairs done. I still need to go back and hire a pro to kind of get the siding upgraded in a much more, uh, long-term fashion. But I did, you know, some of the temporary repairs that would last a couple of years at least, um, right away. And then, you know, a few other small bits like that, but there was some water damage in the laundry room that had to be done, that had to be dealt with. And the more I, you know, the more I pulled out of the house, the more I could see that there was still, you know, other things that just never got fixed. So, you know, broken doorknobs and very various other, you know, holes in the walls and, uh, really bad patch jobs and things like that, that all kind of had to be undone before I could start the renovation process. So, some of these things were more home repair rather than renovation, just kind of like, oh, there's a huge gaping hole in this wall that I need to, that I need to fix. You know, there's busted screws everywhere, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff that just had to be kind of taken care of first. And so, um, it was a, it was an interesting learning process. I mean, you know, before that, I, I didn't even know so much as, you know, that caulk needs a caulk gun. I had no idea. <laughs> and I learned that the first year of working on this house that, you know, there's lots of things that, um, that go into buying and maintaining a house. Even if you don't intend on renovating it, there's still tons of stuff that have to do with maintenance that you have to do right away. Um, so as I was learning all of that, I was also in the process of trying to think about how to take this house apart and then put it back together again in a way that was more updated and upgraded. And cause this was also going to be an investment for me, even though it was my first home, I looked at it as saying, well, I'm getting it at a, such a great price that by the time that this house is done and finished and ready to sell, I'm going to make a decent profit off of this. So every decision that I've been trying to make on the house since then has always been with part of that in mind, I'm not just trying to do it for my own taste, but I'm also trying to make it appealing to, you know, a first time family when they move back into this neighborhood. Cause the, the neighborhood itself is kind of one of those that there's a lot of elderly um, folks living in it when I first moved in. And now some younger families have been starting to move back into the neighborhood and they're starting to work on the houses again and things like that. So I seem to be in a good spot as far as this investment goes. Um, you know, I've been trying to just follow my own instincts with that. I really didn't do a lot of research about it in general. I just picked a house that was, you know, affordable for me, hoping that things would get better. And so far that seems to have been the case. So I'm pretty optimistic that by the time that I sell this house, I'm going to have a nice chunk of money to walk away it, you know, walk away with, and then invest in the newest you know, project. So I don't intend on this to be my forever home, but I do think it's going to be fun once I get finished with it and then move on and possibly start the next adventure or the next house and keep going from there. Cause this so far has been a lot of fun for me. It's been, you know, a challenge too, but at the same time, it's been, it's been quite fun. And, um, I've just been trying as much as I can to also teach along the way with the blog and then tell 
you know, kind of a story from my perspective of trying to make it as funny as possible, because some of the things that happen with this house are just, they're quite frankly, hilarious. I mean, they are gross. Sometimes they are weird. They're confusing and very frustrating. But, um, at the end of the day, I found that my best tool to use in this whole process has been a sense of humor. So as long as I can approach it and, you know, walk away and then learn to laugh at the situation rather than throwing a power tool. Um, I usually wind up spending less money because then I don't have to replace my tools or repair my walls quite as often. So you you mentioned that you had no background whatsoever when you moved into the house. Um, Other than what? crafting. Yeah, I'd never, I mean, I'd helped my dad back when I was a kid um, to help him build his three car garage. But, you know, when you're 13, 14, your job is to hold something straight. It's not really to pick up the skills and it's not necessarily for taking the extra time to learn how to properly do something. Like you're mostly there as labor. And, uh, you know, so I learned some things. I mean, dad was, was, you know, never hesitant to think, Oh, well, you're a girl, so you can't do this. Like he was always just like, no, hold it straight. And no, I've told you to hold it straight. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no reason why you can't do this. Hold this straight. So, um, you know, eventually I kind of figured it out that like, it's just stop saying you can't, you know, it gets frustrating. It gets tiresome and it's hard, but it's not impossible. So, um, you know, I, I helped him, my sister and I both did, um, when we were little, but in general, I did not really have like a lot of repairing skills. I had to learn each one as I went by looking it up on the internet. So the fact that you really had no experience in DIY, that, that didn't stop you from buying a fixer upper. I'm pretty stubborn. So, you know, just because I hadn't done it yet, didn't mean that I couldn't. And there had never been a situation I mean, I, you know, when I was younger, my, my mother, whenever she wanted to paint or wallpaper the house, she would do it herself. So, um, you know, I knew how to paint a wall. I knew how to, you know, I knew how to put on wallpaper, but some of the harder stuff, like, um, you know, how to switch out an electrical outlet. I didn't know how to do that yet. Um, I do now, um, I do now thanks to reading, you know, tutorials on it or looking at a YouTube video or, you know, something else like that. But a lot of it's just trial and error. Like, um, one of my most popular tutorials is about skim coating your walls after you've, you know, taken off wallpaper. And, um, in that's, in this particular situation, the wallpaper had not been prime. I mean, the walls had not been primed before the wallpaper went on. So when you glue paper to paper and then you try and separate those two things, it's bound to cause some damage. And, um, so I just learned, I mean, I had the general skills of like, oh, well you use joint compound to repair that. And the reason why I knew it was you use joint compound to repair that is because I'd previously repaired the walls from some termite damage when I first moved in. So I had already figured out how to do some of that. And it's not really all that ha much harder than if you're a crafter. I mean, I used to tinker around with arts and crafts all the time as a kid. So I knew that the skills were pretty basically the same. They're just in a larger scale and maybe using a different medium. So, um, you know, where I, you know, stained and or painted a wooden box, like a wooden jewelry box, and then I tiled the top of it, 
you know, the concept of tiling was not foreign to me. It was just on a different scale and using completely different materials than the ones that I'd used before. So, you know, I, if you're tiling a, a little jewelry box, you're taking, you know, little pieces of tile and you're gluing them down and then you're grouting it and then you're sealing it. And so that same exact step process is very applicable to tiling a bathroom floor. You're just not familiar with how to use a tile saw or you're not familiar with how the layout should actually work design wise, as far as where the first tile should start in a bathroom or, you know, how to, how to, you know, etch out the tile so that you can get that round shape around, around where the toilet's going to go and things like that. So like, while the entire project itself might be very foreign to a lot of people, eventually what happens is that you just kind of take pieces of knowledge you've already learned from various other experiences and you kind of all apply them in this, in this particular instance. So you take each one difficult piece of this puzzle and you start putting it together. And, um, the more that I focused on doing that, the easier it was for me to create tutorials for people who had never done these kinds of things before. I've tried to, you know, give information to other people who quite frankly can be very intimidated by some of these projects because just the language alone, the terminology alone for how this particular project might come together, you know, nobody knows what an, what an uncoupling membrane is. But if I explain to them like, Oh, well, there's this plastic kind of waffle weave kind of thing that you put in between your subfloor and your tile so that it has less of a chance of cracking, then some things start to make sense to people a little bit more than they would have if you used industry terminology. So, um, I found that that was a, that was a barrier to me as well. So, um, whenever I write tutorials or whenever I try and, and provide that information to someone new, um, I try and use the language that I know, like try and make it in layman's terms so that the last thing that the person thinks that they can't do is because, well, I don't know what that even is. And I don't even know how to ask for that when I go into the store. You know, I, I try and create them for those kinds of folks. And, um, I found that that's, that's a very effective method for teaching. Um, that, uh, you know, I'll get contacted from, you know, this woman, this one woman who, who leaves comments on my blog. Sometimes she'll tell me that, you know, she's, that she and her mother are doing this and she's 66 years old and, and she and her mother are about to do the same thing that I just did. And it's because at least in part from my tutorials that she feels like she can do it. And, um, stuff like that is, is really something that makes you, you know, kind of proud that you taught somebody else how to do something that otherwise they would have convinced themselves they couldn't do. So, um, you know, it's, it's a lovely thing to, to be able to put that out there and to, uh, to kind of say, Oh, well, you know, I, you know, I, I passed it on. I passed on this knowledge to somebody else. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been fun. Um, cause it's also taught me a lot, you know, too, um, when I have to stop and think and photograph, like, how am I going to execute, how am I going to teach somebody else how to do this? And especially if it's a project I've never done before, like I've never drilled through tile to hang a shelf before. And yet I'm sitting here with my camera in hand, documenting everything that I just did so that I can teach somebody else to do it, you know, as soon as this project is done. So, um, I'm going through all of the emotions of like, Oh, I can't do this. Or, you know, this is not going to, this is not going to go well. And sometimes it doesn't, sometimes I screw up. Sometimes the project doesn't go the way that I expect it to, or it takes more tools or expense or especially time than I ever expected. But in the end, if it actually works out, 
I then can tell that story, good or bad, to the next person who's thinking about trying it. Um, so, you know, it's fun to kind of plant the seed of like, well, maybe you can do this after all, because, you know, I'll start to get that same inkling about the next project that I have in mind. So, you know, you take that and then you build on that knowledge and that builds on more knowledge later on. So today I figured out how to paint my walls without using painter's tape. Tomorrow I'm going to figure out how to paint a piece of furniture um, without getting, you know, streaks in it or whatever. And then the next day I might say, well, you know, both of those things I thought were not going to be something that I would do well. And I actually wound up doing them just fine. So maybe I'll try tiling a floor today or <laughs> over the next few weeks. And then the next time that I actually think that I still can't do something, it just, you go through that same pattern over and over again of getting frustrated. And in my case, you know, dropping a whole lot of F-bombs and then <laughs> turning around and figuring out that I can do it. And then building that confidence and then attempting the next thing that I don't think I can do. Um, and I've just done it over and over and over again um, to the point now that I've, I've now started contemplating, well, maybe I should get my contractor's license. Cause you know, all this stuff is really not that hard. I just don't have the basic knowledge of, well, this is how pros actually do these kinds of things. And I think that that would be kind of cool to, you know, to learn about how professionals do this the next time. Cause you know, it's different than trial and error. There's actually steps I might be able to skip in that situation um, where I might have prior knowledge that prevents me from doing it wrong the first time. So what your website does well is break down the steps, kind of present the uh, the project from the way an average person, the way a novice would see the project to begin with, which makes everything so much more accessible. Was that your first purpose with the uh, website? Was it to educate or did it start off as more of a look what I did, look what I can do sort of site? Um, there's always a little bit of, of all of that that goes into it. You know, being proud of what you've accomplished and just wanting to show it off. Um, especially, I would think that in today's day and age where we're sharing everything we ever do, <laughs> um, you know, there's a little bit of the, you know, the selfish, self-indulgent look at me factor. I mean, I don't think that you'll meet a single blogger who won't participate in that to some degree. Um, there's a, there's definitely some narcissism, but, um, I would also say that, um, the first thing that I started off doing, um, the, the blog itself came about through me telling stories to my friends. I mean, I had moved into this house that was overwhelming and, um, you know, I was constantly questioning that, like, did I, did I make the right decision? while I was sitting there buying this house that I knew I would have to fix up was not really sure about how much fixing up it would need, but somewhat in the range of like from completely oblivious to overly confident <laughs> that I could do this. And I, you know, was constantly fluctuating in between those two extremes um, as far as my personal opinion on what happened today. And so I was constantly telling my friends these random crazy stories that I'd never heard before about first time ownership. I mean, you know, you watch HGV and it makes it so glossy and glamorous, even when it looks terrible, that you're that convinced that, you know, this can be done, but you don't see all the gross, disgusting things that happen in between. I mean, I have never heard somebody tell me a story about finding press on fingernails all over their house when they first moved in. Well, and that happened to me. I walked into my house. I had to use my, my mother and I started cleaning my house. She had to use 
oven cleaner, oven cleaner to get the dirt off of the counters. Nice. It was so stuck on there and so long since it had last been cleaned that we had to use oven cleaner to get it off. And I mean, like, and that's the kind of thing that's like, nope, nope, don't plan on cooking in this thing until it's renovated. You know, you move in and you go, well, I guess I'm ordering pizza for three years because this is definitely not something I'm going to eat off of. Hey, any you know, excuse to order pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I went thing... to grad school in between that. So there was a lot of pizza being ordered. <laughs> um, there's just never time to, to cook. But um, so I, I moved in and there was just all these random things that were happening. I mean, the first night was very indicative of the kind of life I was going to be living once I moved in. Because my boyfriend at the time and I had moved into the house and we'd spent the entire day moving boxes, moving things from storage, moving, you know, his furniture, my furniture, all of it into this, into this house. And I mean, I'd only lived in one bedroom apartment since then. So it's, it didn't feel like I had that much stuff, but we just kept moving things in and it was just exhausting. And we didn't even have the bed put together that night. I don't think, I think we slept on a mattress the first night, but regardless, we were exhausted. It was like 1am and we just laid down to go to sleep. And at about four o'clock, just this, this horrifyingly, you know, horrible sound came from just outside my window. Like it sounded like something was dying. It sounded like something was being murdered. Two cats were basically fighting. They were, it was, it was, I guess, either two stray cats or two cats from a neighbor or something had wandered into my yard. And I guess it was a territory thing and these two cats were now fighting, but they were fighting just under my master bedroom window in the bushes. And so it was a very loud thing to have been, been woken up to. And I mean, quite frankly, one of them was just getting his ass kicked. I mean, like I was convinced that in the morning I'd go out there and there'd be a dead cat. And so, you know, after only having three hours of sleep, I'm, I'm laying in bed and I'm staring at I'm staring at the ceiling at the, you know, the fan going round and round. And I'm just like blinking and thinking to myself, what the f did I just get myself into? <laughs> and I just looked up at the ceiling and I mean, like I started laughing and at the ridiculousness of just of, of the whole day of the stress. And, you know, it was either laugh or cry and I chose laugh. So, um, after that moment, you know, I kept experiencing things like that, you know, the fingernails that just, you know, were just, just, oh, just so gross. Well, at least they were press-on fingernails. Um, and, you know, the, the oven cleaner situation and the fact that my kitchen ceiling was orange and, you know, that there was all this weird moldy wall damage in my laundry room and I couldn't quite place how that happened and, you know, the termite damage that I discovered when I tried to paint the wall, like, you know, I, I'm sitting there with a paint roller and I'm rolling the wall and then part of the wall comes off on the paint roller. And so, you know, oh, well, that's new. Now I guess I got to fix that too. Um, you know, just tons of that stuff was happening. Just lesson after lesson after lesson of like things not going the way I expected and figuring out and, you know, finding the funny in it and all that kind of stuff. And I was constantly telling my friends these kinds of stories and I would forget which friends I told which stories to. So I was sitting there, you know, at dinner with one of my friends. And so she's hearing about the latest episode of what's going on with Sarah's house. 
And then she starts nodding as if she's already heard it. And I'm like, oh, did I already tell you about this? She's like, yeah, 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 but it's fine. It's, it's no big deal. And so then I tried to think of the next story. And I hadn't told her that one yet. So I, I tell her this other story. And um, I did that a couple of times before one of my friends just goes, you know, I've been reading, you know, because I've, I've been telling her about some of these tutorials that I've le been learning things from. They're coming from blogs. And she reads them too. And so she just suggest she's she's like you know these are kind of funny you should you should tell people these kinds of things i mean you're learning stuff along the way i mean that's exactly the same thing that all these blogs you're reading from are doing you know why not start one of your own and start telling somebody about these kinds of things and that way not only are you not going to repeat the same stories we can all keep up with the latest thing that just happened you know the latest funny story in the saga of what's going on with sarah's house and, um, you know, we just started talking about it and, you know, I kind of threw around some names at first. Um, and, you know, eventually the ugly duckling house just kind of seemed to make sense as far as a name. And strangely enough, it had not been taken by the blog world yet. Like there was nobody named that. So I just, you know, registered the name and started my first post. And, um, I'd taken a bunch of photos when I first moved in cause I was planning on, you know, just taking photos of the house and putting it like in a Facebook photo album, you know, so people could just see some stuff that I'd been working on. So I'd already had those photos and I just uploaded them and that was my first post. And I, you know, thought of course it would be mostly my friends paying attention and keeping up with it. But, um, when I started to, you know, create a couple instructions about like, Oh, well, here's how I learned how to do this because I could see other blogs creating tutorials out of the whole process of saying, okay, well, I actually took photos along the whole way of how I learned how to do this for the first time. And here's that information. And so I noticed that there was a couple of things that I was doing that I was figuring out that nobody had written about before, such as, you know, how to paint a door when you haven't taken it off the hinges. And, you know, cause for me, that was incredibly inconvenient. And I was, you know, I kept trying to find the lazy girl's way of doing things. So I was like, oh, I don't feel like taking off the hinges. I can just paint the door while it's hanging there. And that way I also don't have to try and hang it back up again. So let me just figure this out. So I figured that out. And that was one of my first tutorials, you know, how to paint a door without taking it off the hinges. And to this day, it's still a popular project because to this day, people are still looking for that information. You know, before long, it wasn't my friends who were keeping up with the blog quite so much as complete strangers. Complete strangers were commenting on my stuff and, you know, talking to me about their own house projects and asking questions about things that I was doing. And I realized that, wow, you know, I can actually turn this into a blog, just like some of the blogs that I've been reading and admiring. Like I can, I can become one of them. <laughs> so first and foremost, to answer your original question that I started rambling, the first thing that my blog was about was storytelling. And it just morphed into, you know, tutorials and it morphed into design ideas and it morphed into other things. Um, eventually. But the first, the first thing and what still is today is just me trying to tell as authentic a story as possible about this girl who broke up with her boyfriend and decided to continue working on this overwhelming DIY project by herself. And so I'm trying to, you know, hopefully somewhere along the way, get across the message that it's doable. It's, you know, you are capable of doing it. Um, and you know, I try very hard to at least be universally teaching how to do something specifically. And, you know, if, if that winds up inspiring 
you know, single women to do, you know, a home improvement of their own, that's great. If it inspires, you know, a bachelor to, you know, to tackle this thing without hiring a pro to do it, that's also great. You know, um, I've had, I've had countless friends tell me that they, you know, they, everybody's kind of gotten to that hop to that, you know, habit of like, well, I don't know how to do that. Let me look it up. And so you go to the internet and you go to the university of Google and you just look up, um, information and you try and figure out whether or not you're on the right track. And so it actually brings me quite a bit of pride when somebody says, I was looking up such and such the other day and I ran into one of your tutorials. I used your tutorial to do this thing. And I was like, you know, anytime that somebody says something like that to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm on the internet. I teach, (laughs) (laughs) I do that. So, um, it's, it's been, it's been really fun. So what is your reaction if someone was to say that, um, that your blog is DIY from a woman's perspective? It's accurate. I mean, I'm a woman and I'm giving my personal perspective on it. Um, I try and steer clear of the gender stuff though. Um, there's a lot of blogs out there that are very much women's empowerment and I think more power to them. You know, they do their own thing and they inspire a lot of people. And I think that's wonderful. There's a couple of close blog friends of mine who I very much admire because of how great they are at motivating other people to think that they can do it themselves. And they specifically target, um, women. They, they want women to feel like bad women to feel like they're capable of, you know, handling power tools and they want to fight the stereotype that, you know, this is just for men. And I think that that's wonderful. Um, I, on the other hand, am not particularly keen on making my blog a woman's blog. Like I don't want it to be a pink with power tools or a women's empowerment blog specifically. Um, it's for me, it's just more about, I want to teach this DIY knowledge to anybody who wants to know it. And I feel that, you know, when it comes to this gender kind of stuff, um, I have a particularly, I don't don't know, like I have a different opinion on it. Um, I feel that I'm doing myself a disservice if I always hark on the idea that I'm a woman and I'm doing this. I want them to see me as a DIYer first and foremost. I don't necessarily want people to identify me for my gender first. I want them to see that I'm knowledgeable about this stuff as far as DIY is concerned. And that I'm just telling an authentic story of a first time homeowner. And I don't want that to discourage men who are trying to do these same DIY things too. Um, I do find that my audience tends to be split more evenly, not, not a hundred percent evenly. It's not 50, 50, but I do find that my audience tends to be both men and women asking questions rather than it mostly being women reading this blog and, you know, commenting. And I mean, I, I do get, you know, as far as this DIY world goes, there's a lot of women who read this kind of stuff, but I do think that, um, but you know, based on the comments, based on, you know, kind of the, the ratio of men to women that I get on my blog, it seems to be slightly differently, um, divided percentage wise than a lot of the, than a lot of the DIY blogs out there that are written primarily by women for women. So, um, you know, while they do their thing and I think that's awesome, I'm, I tend to not want to emphasize that I'm a woman first. Um, it's just a personal preference, you know, when it comes to, you know, feminism, you, you mostly go, well, either you're the kind of person who wants to emphasize that you're a woman so that other women get inspired and think that they can do it too, or you're, um, or you're 
I guess, more middle of the road like me where you're like, well, I just want everybody to, um, to, I don't know how to phrase this. (laughs) Um, it's mostly just, I don't want to walk into a home improvement store and people see me as a woman and think that first, always. Like I'm getting really tired of walking into a home improvement store and people treating me like a dainty little lady. And I think that the more that I call myself out for being a woman, the more I allow other people to do it. So I try not to. I try and just teach based on my knowledge of DIY and what I've learned, you know, with an equal appeal as much as possible. I mean, yeah, I'm always going to tell my story from a woman's perspective because I am a woman, but I try not to overemphasize how much like, oh, well, as a woman, here's how I did this. Um, I try and steer clear of that kind of thing just because then when I walk into a home improvement store, you know, I feel, I feel more like I'm just a DIYer like anybody else who walks in here. I don't expect that the guy who's telling me some information is going to go, well, as a man, here's how I would do this. So I try and not do the same thing as a woman. Um, and that's again, just a personal preference kind of thing. It's really not at all attempting to knock anybody who does the women's empowerment thing, because I very much support women's programs. Like, um, Amy Poehler has got a great group where she tries to inspire young girls to feel powerful and to get into STEM programs. And, um, I think that's a wonderful program. I think that girls who code, I mean, I'm, I'm a web designer and web developer and I love coding. And I think that there's not enough women who do it. And there's a program called girls who code where it tries to teach young girls how to, um, how to code. And, um, I think it's a wonderful program as well. So, those kinds of things I think are, are great. It's just when it comes to my own brand, I sit there and I try to do a little, do it a little bit differently. You know, I, I try and not allow people to first talk about my blog as a woman's blog. I, I really, you know, some, there's some part of that that still makes me kind of cringe a little bit. I, I didn't mean for it to sound like I was minimizing. Oh no, what, what I don't, you, you I don't know, mean that you do. you're, that you're doing that at all either. It's just that sometimes I get on that subject because you're allowing me to say it. <laughs> you're allowing me to talk about it. And so sometimes I'll just get on that, that tangent of going, well, not oh, really a woman's perspective, more of a DIYer's perspective. Which is the direction I was intending to go on because, <laughs> but yeah. I, I realized that after I asked the questions, I didn't word that quite the best way I could. But what I was trying to get to was there are so many blogs now, so many websites now by women such as yourself who are absolutely kicking ass, you know, as with, well, uh, with home improvements and DIY and stuff like that, that, um, what, what was I, what was I going with that? Um, I don't know. You said I was kicking ass. So we can end, we can end the sentence there. there. That's fine for me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, there, there seems to be like this whole breed of intelligent, powerful women who are not afraid to take on home improvements and DIY. It's not just a man's game anymore. Right. And I love that. I think that that's, I think that's such a good thing to see. I mean, the fact that people are not, that the people are specifically trying to target women with some of this branding that they're doing with, um, you know, with their power tools, they're designing them with women in mind, you know, they're, they're going, well, is this going to fit everybody's hands? Like, you know, is this going to be comfortable? Is this going to be, you know, for the, you know, um, some, some specific brands will, will take that into consideration. They'll hire 
you know, panels of women to give their own opinions on these particular tools. And, um, there's some brands that, you know, because of some of the things that some of my close blog friends have done and pointed out that some of the behavior that used to exist and still does to this day, to some degree, you know, it's, it's becoming less pronounced. So for example, um, Makita has been uh, disappointingly promoting themselves as, you know, um, you know, the same old school, like, you know, female calendar kind of let's, you know, dress a woman in very skimpy clothing and she'll hold our power tool and she'll be our, you know, miss, you know, miss Makita 2015. And in 2015, you don't necessarily think that that's going to be the thing that, that, you know, you see. And then when, you know, you're in this power tool world and a brand is, it's just making, you know, women into, you know, objectified playthings that are holding their power tools. They, they have no idea how to use it. They have, you know, they don't mention anything that they've been working on as far as projects are concerned. Like, you know, they're not, they're not using the tool. And, um, I don't know, like, you know, that struck a chord with some of us where we were like, okay, that's pretty ridiculous because one, we don't dislike Makita tools. Makita Makita's tools are actually very useful. And in fact, they're designed kind of on the smaller side. So they're great to hold in your hand. Like they're not too large. So it's, it's kind of great. I mean, they, they make a good quality tool. Um, you know, some of their stuff is, is, you know, a preferred line by some of our, uh, by some of our DIYers, but that kind of represent, you know, that kind of lack of representation of just looking at this girl who's half naked on a calendar holding the power tool is kind of like, well, okay, that's not awesome. That's, that's, that kind of sucks because that's the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish. You know, we're trying to tell people that they can do these kinds of things. And then, so if you specifically target an audience that reinforces the idea that women aren't actually going to do any of this, then, you know, it just doesn't sit right. And I think that the more that, the more that some of these bloggers that are, that are really pushing for that, you know, take charge on that. I mean, um, Brittany from pretty handy girl was definitely one of the ones who, you know, I say that I would wholeheartedly admire for all of the efforts that she's done. And she, she was one, one of the people who blogged about this particular Makita issue and she brought it to their attention. She, she kind of fired up a bunch of women to say, actually, here's, here's what a real woman looks like when they're using your power tool. And there was tons of, there was tons of images that then flooded the internet of real women using their tool who actually knew how to use it instead of just plastering this, you know, skimpy girl who has probably never picked up a drill to use for any particular purpose other than for that photo. (laughs) So I, I gotta say, she took a positive approach about that. And I loved that, that, you know, she was like, okay, instead of, instead of attacking Makita for, you know, just for not representing women, why don't we just go ahead and take over their brand? Because now with the power of social media, you can do that. You can sit there and say, actually, I disagree with the way that you're representing yourself and I'm going to choose for you. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what your brand actually is and here's what it is. So she wound up flooding Instagram and Facebook and everything with real women, including one of my very close blog friends, um, Kit from uh, DIY Diva. She's she loved 
you know, she still does um, Makita power tools. And so she's regularly used them in photos. And so they've flooded, you know, the, um, the internet with all of those images of real women using power tools. And it's fantastic. Well, I, you know, I got to say, you know, part of me as, as a guy, I don't have an issue with the skimpy, you know, with, with that, with that marketing ploy. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, 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 you know, that's as a guy, I, but yeah. as the, as the father of a 13 year old girl, on the other hand, yeah, you know, I, I, I have issues with that. And I would, you know, a few weeks ago, my, my daughter's 13 years old. She was playing Minecraft and I called her out to the front porch. We have a wood porch at our, at our door and there were a couple of boards that were loose. And she's never used a power tool before. And I thought this was a perfect chance just to drive a couple screws to fasten the boards back down. And she was, she was reluctant to do it. She asked me, why do I have to do this? And my answer to that was number one. So you don't have to rely on me or any other guy to do it for you when you're, when you have your own place. I, I would much rather have her look to, you know, see, see these images of women actually using power tools, such as, yourself, such as Brittany from Pretty Handy Girl, such as Kit from DIY Diva, like anybody like that, instead of seeing these images of, you know, pinup models that don't actually know what they're doing. Yeah. Them. Yeah. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, like images of, of very attractive men using power tools just as much as they probably, <laughs> probably like scantily clad women using them. But at the same time, I just, you know, I, I, I wind up falling into that little bit of a, of a funk of going, well, I don't really appreciate that though. Like I don't appreciate just constantly being reminded that, you know, people don't think I can do this. I, you know, that repetitive behavior is just, it, it's enough to piss you off. And so you, you know, you want to teach and you want to continue for lots of people to learn from you, regardless of their gender, regardless of yours. And so the idea that you even have to have that in, as part of the equation at all is kind of, it, it just doesn't sit with you when it gets repeated to that extent. I mean, you know, when it happens once or twice, doesn't bother you in the least, but when it happens to a certain extent, you just go, okay, enough. Like I'm actually mad enough now that I'm going to say something. Um, and I do think that, you know, it's of course changing quite a bit. Enough of this kind of awareness is happening that I do think that it does influence younger women, um, young girls to, you know, reinforce that idea. Cause I mean, I, I, I just, I just plain didn't grow up in a house where my parents were constantly reminding me that as a girl, I couldn't do something like it wasn't, you know, Oh, well you can't do this because you're a girl or you have to do this because you're a girl. It was just hold it straight. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, and since then, you know, it's, it's been kind of great. Cause you know, I work with both my parents on my house. Sometimes they'll, they're big help. And, um, and, uh, so my dad will come over and he'll teach me something new or I'll have a guy friend where, you know, he might have a little bit more electrical experience than I do. So I'll ask him to come over in exchange for like beer <laughs> and say, Hey, I'm working on this. Could you teach me how to do this? Um, and most of the time we're more than happy to exchange, you know, knowledge and things like that. Cause I mean, they might have a particular power tool that I don't possess and vice versa. And, you know, it really, it kind of felt nice at that one point when my dad started borrowing tools from me, you know, when, when, 
finally the tables had turned and I wasn't raiding his garage anymore. And he was like, Hey, do you still have that such and such that you just bought? Can I borrow that? And, um, so that was kind of, I don't know, that was, that was reaching a new level for me as far as my relationship with my dad goes, where, you know, finally he and I are, are both power tool junkies. And, um, I think it's now his, one of his favorite things is that he has a daughter who loves power tools. So he has oodles of fun when it comes to Christmas time. Cause he knows that the thing I'm probably going to be the most excited about is whatever shiny new bling he's just bought me. And so I'm going to hug it. Like, you know, I, I always, I always say that I hug it like a pony. Like I, I, <laughs> I hug my new power tool as if my dad just got me a pony. <laughs> and, um, and there's, you know, a number of pictures of me doing this every year since, because my mother thought it was so ridiculous the first time she saw it, that she was like, really, you're hugging a router like a pony. Like she's, she was just like, really, you're hugging it. Like you did a stuffed bear, like your stuffed bear when you were little, like, that's just silly. So she took a picture of that. It's kind of now kind of an inside joke with our family that, you know, every year when dad buys me whatever new shiny power tool that I'm going to get, I have to hug it. <laughs> so, um, last year it was a giant ladder. So that was really funny. Um, that was a really funny picture actually. But, uh, yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's been fun now that, you know, now that kind of stuff is the stuff that people are not questioning. I mean, at least, at least in the world that I live in now with, you know, tons of bloggers out there that are constantly doing this kind of thing. It's great to have a community of people who, you know, we don't even, you know, we don't even question that somebody knows what they're doing with this kind of stuff. You get people who are extremely passionate about this kind of stuff and extremely excited to share their information. So it becomes just this community of sharing new knowledge that, you know, I walk away from conversations like that every time learning something new. And I'm so into it that I get excited and I get, you know, motivated to start yet another project out of the 100 that I've already started <laughs> so and haven't finished yet. So, um, you know, it's, it's a great community. I mean, the blogging community is very open and, um, it's created around the idea that, that sharing information is extremely helpful to everybody involved. So, um, you know, there's really not a lot of holding back when it comes to that stuff. And another good thing about that is that there's also not a, a lot of belittling when it comes to that kind of thing. I mean, there's, there's, there's always, you know, it's the internet, so it's, you know, there's some hate, but I mean, for the most part, blogs are, are trying their best to put as much positive sharing out there as possible. They want other people to take that knowledge and use it. So, um, you know, it's not so much of like a hoarding type of situation where like, no, this is my information and you can't have it. Um, it's, it's a community that's very much, um, centered around the idea that we're going to share this information and every single time it's going to be 100% what we, you know, as much as we know, because we want you to do it right. We want you to, you know, skip the steps where we learned it the wrong way. We want you to take all the mistakes that, you know, have kind of occurred. And I mean, in my case, there's tons. I mean, you can search the entire blog for all the mistakes I've ever made. And there's quite a few of those. Um, but from that comes, you know, oh, well, I did it the wrong way the first time. And now I did it the right way. And now here's how I'm telling you in this tutorial, not only how to do it right, but the things that I did wrong so that you know that that doesn't work. So I feel that that's a really helpful way to get across these messages that you're constantly trying to, you know, to um, teach a new person about how to do something. Because sometimes people have already thought about a better way to do it. And it's just that the thought didn't cross your mind. 
you know, when you were working on the project. So the not the acknowledgement that, oh, well, I tried it this way first, at least eliminate some of that mystery out of it. Yeah. I like to take a similar approach to my own website as well. Um, I, I, I figure by sharing my learning curve, I can help someone else shorten their learning curve. So all that extra energy is not wasted, but actually helps someone else. Now, as we wrap up here, um, I always ask this one question of everyone I interview, and that is, what is one piece of advice that you would give to a new homeowner? Uh, caulk needs a caulk gun. Um, <laughs> uh, that was my first bit of information I ever learned. Um, and just, I would say that one of the best things to remember is um, read lots of tutorials when you're about to do something. Don't just read one and think that you've got it figured out. Learn a couple of different ways to do the same thing and then figure out which one works for you. Um, because a lot of times, you know, you may read up one thing and you think, oh, well, that's, you know, I've got the, I've got the tools to do it this way. But that tutorial says that I need to do it that way. You know, is there another way? I mean, and most of the time, yes, there is. And I mean, that doesn't mean that one particular tutorial is wrong or bad or anything. It's just that's what worked for that person. So when it comes to you and your project, you aren't going to always have the same exact scenario as the person who's writing. So you may run into a situation that that person could never answer. It's really important that if you've never done something before, that you try and get as much information ahead of time as you can, because then you're going to be more prepared if something doesn't go quite right or as expected. Um, countless times, you know, you're going to, you're going to do something that never, somebody never did before. And, um, even if there's six other tutorials out there that did it a different way than you figured out, that's a new opportunity for you to share that knowledge with somebody else. So, um, you can contribute to the collective amount of information that's out there now in, in that situation. Um, and that's the approach that I've taken, at least with having a blog in tandem with working on my house. So if you're going to buy a house and you're going to try and do some of the stuff yourself, I would say that one of the best things to do is to try and arm yourself with as much knowledge as possible. And the other thing is that that also eliminates a lot of fear. Um, I, I, did an interview ages and ages ago, and I couldn't even believe it came out of my mouth because I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. And I was like, where did I copy that from? Because it couldn't have come out of my own brain. But um, I, you know, I was just talking to this one girl and she was like, well, you know, how do you, how do you combat some of that kind of stuff? And I was like, well, you just arm yourself to the teeth with information. Um, you know, that, you know, that, that fear, that trepidation, that, that, that hesitancy that you have before you go into a project that's fear and knowledge kicks it in the teeth. I mean, you, you can take all of this information and you can arm yourself in such a way that you're not afraid of it as, as much anymore. And you just dive right in and then you get that best part, you know, that, that joy that comes from actually having done that project by yourself. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I, I, so hopefully I, I, I gave you plenty I, of material. Oh, I couldn't say, I couldn't have said anything any, any better myself. <laughs> um, well, I want to thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, um, this was fun. So we know, we know where the website is. Um, what, what presence do you have on social media? Um, I am on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, um, and Pinterest. Of course, I've got tons of ideas that are posted all over Pinterest. And most of those are at the handle ugly duckling DIY. 
so you can easily find them. And um, pretty soon I should be um, producing some um, some videos on my YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to be doing some Q&A style stuff on there um, pretty soon. You know, there's there's a group of people who like to read tutorials, and then there's a group of people who like to watch them. And so I'm going to try and create content for for both sets of folks at this point going forward. I might just try and, you know, bring some of the knowledge that I've brought from the blog onto the video um, so that, you know, even more people can figure figure this stuff out. Awesome. De definitely looking forward to that. Um, so yep. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how, 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 how intimidating the camera is. Um, I, I always, I, I don't know what it is, but you know, getting in front of a video camera is, is, is a bit tougher for me. Like I don't seem to have any fear when it comes to blogging and confessing personal information and photographing it even, but, but putting myself in front of a camera seems to be, um, a little bit more of a, of a nerve wracking thing when it comes to video. So I'm going to try and work on that and, you know, get past that, that, that trepidation or that, uh, that intimidation factor and just do it. And, um, I've been told that just, just do it, just put yourself out there. You're going to look like an idiot most of the time, but you know what people are going to learn. So it's, it's all good. You know, you're going to wind up on, hopefully you don't wind up on Tosh.0 or on like some internet t television show where you're making a fool out of yourself. But if you do, you know, maybe it'll be an extra follower <laughs> gain from it. So it'll all be okay. But yeah. And then I'll share more Charlie videos because that's always fun. Like everybody loves funny dog and my dog is very funny. I, I know we all, we all like Charlie here. My wife and kid both love Charlie. Yeah, she's awesome. Pictures. She's a good dog. She's she's goofy as hell though. She is so goofy. Um, yeah, she's, she's quite a character. So um, the more opportunities that I get to film her, I think that'll help the the YouTube channel a little bit like, Hey, here's me doing something stupid, but Hey, look, here's the dog doing something stupid. That's funny. Well, I got to say, it's been fantastic. Uh, being able to finally, <laughs> well, hopefully finally be, be able to do there. this. And I'm, so. you know, I'm sorry, Tom, I'm sorry that we went so long. This was fun. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sarah Fogel. You can find her at uglyducklinghouse.com. And of course, from there, you can find her social media links as well. The show notes page for this episode is thumbandhammer.com slash eight. Drop by, leave a comment. Let me know you're out there. I want to thank you very much for joining me. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>